the scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. You can find this on page 874 if you're using one of the Bibles we provided in the chair pockets or at the end of the aisles. Again, 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. I hope, even even stepping into this place for the first time, that you recognize that a church, even this church, is not organization so much as it is organism. A living, breathing, growing thing with symbiotic give-and-take relationships amongst the parts to keep the body itself healthy. That's what a church is. Uh, Yet to serve or volunteer in a church, many of us tell ourselves the conditions have to be perfect. For some of us, the stars have to align, right? A a lunar eclipse must be out and Halley's Comet must be orbiting the earth simultaneously before we will serve and find our calling in the church. The truth is, and what I hope you see this morning through God's Word, is that we need to know neither every detail, nor does every detail have to come together to begin taking that first step in service. That first initial step. And I think what Andy read for us this morning from 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter, gives us enough to take that first step in serving one another, giving to one another, receiving from one another, so that we will be a healthy organism growing together, the body of Christ. The starter's kit for service that Peter gives us this morning in a nutshell is this. Find your gift and use your gift so that together we might display His gift. Find use so that together we might display his gift. We're going to actually follow that outline this morning. And here's where we start. First, find your gift. Find the gift that God has given you. It says here in verse 10, as each has received a gift. Peter opens this very long sentence touching upon this remarkable reality, which for every Christian, every person who has trusted Christ, it's icing on the grace. Uh, I had a business executive for a father who during my childhood was at the pinnacle, was riding really the pinnacle of his business career. And frequently he would go on business trips during this time to the Far East, uh, usually two weeks at a time. But once a year he would go for three or four weeks at a time. And it was one during, I remember vividly, his return home after one of these three-weekers he went on, and I, I just looked forward when I was at school 
I was looking for it all day just to see my dad at the door, wondering, oh, I forgot what time he was getting back. Is it this afternoon? Is it this evening? Looking forward to seeing him again. And it was enough for me that, for him to show up and, and, and return. But he also brought back with him on this particular trip a, a etched Japanese sword, a little dagger this big, which is probably inappropriate to bring a 12-year-old. Quite frankly, uh, in fact, but I would often take it out of its sheath and never dared use it, but looked at it and always admired it. In fact, uh, I still have this thing here and came in, brought it down, shipped it down here to one day give to my children when it's appropriate to give to them when they're mature enough to handle a sword, which as things are going right now, will probably be age 28 at this rate, but <laughs> we'll see. We're lucky. Anyhow, um, it's enough that the God and Father of the universe returns to estranged children, rescuing them from a life of misery and afterlife of torment, and does so freely from what's known in the Bible as saving grace. But in addition to that, he comes bearing a gift, an additional gift. He puts the Holy Spirit inside of those who trust them and gives them a supernatural gift with which they might serve and contribute to the growth of the body of Christ. It's amazing. Literally, they are called spiritual graces, these spiritual gifts. Charis is the word. So if you've trusted Jesus, you've been giving a gift or a unique mix of gifts that we absolutely need individually and collectively to max out our spiritual growth. All right, we'll grow as a church because Jesus is just faithful to build his church. He's great like that and faithful like that. No matter what you and I do, no matter if I'm, I, I leave as a pastor next week or, or you have to go away, he'll grow his church but to max out in growing. We've got to each of us use a gift, the gift we've been given, the talent we've been given. And that's exciting, I hope, for you. A spiritual gift, this is the definition of one uh, given by one of my a former professor at my old seminary, Wayne Grudem, um, he said, it's any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit used in any ministry of the church. This definition uh, encompasses gifts that seem more miraculous, like prophecy and healing and speaking and interpreting tongues, and those related to more natural abilities, like teaching and mercy and administration. Things that you may have even had before, but when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, he infuses them with a power you've never before seen. But it's not just the gift. You have to actually use it to serve the church. In other words, if you have some talent or gift, but you just kind of hold on to it for yourself, maybe you use it at work, but you hide it from the church. Jesus has a parable for people who have those gifts and those talents. And in that parable, he talks about taking them away from those who don't use them. He means for us to put them into play, not to hold on to them. We see here in 1 Peter, there are two general categories of gifts, speaking and serving. Words and works, as we see here as we go on in verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We have speaking we have serving, these two general categories. And we look at a list up here, the spiritual gifts behind me. 
you'll see a, a very <clears throat> natural breakdown between service gifts and speaking gifts. We're not going to go through each one, but you'll see as you go through the list, miracles, healings, helps, administration, serving, contributing, mercy. That's the kind of serving. But there's also a way to help the body of Christ through speaking as well. Teaching, evangelism, encouragement, exhortation, these sorts of ways. A couple things I want to point out about this list. It doesn't come, number one, with an instruction manual. Just a couple nice pictures on the box. If you're like me, when I, when I get something to assemble, I prefer the pictures on the box. I don't know about you. I, I, the instruction manual, you can read through it, and yes, you might get it exactly right, and yes, it's nice to refer to, but usually I just like the pictures on the box. If I can, if I can see it, I feel like I can actually do it, which usually is wrong, by the way. I, if I see it, it's like, that's what it should be if you follow the instructions. God, he gives us these pictures in the Bible of what a spiritual gift might look like lived out in people's lives, both Old and New Testament. But it's designed to actually kind of get out of the box and try it for yourself. You might make a couple mistakes along the way, a couple errors. But that's part of the process. It's part of experiencing what it's like to have a gift. And it does a couple things, by the way. It gives you permission not to get frustrated at your lack of fruit. You can't be sure you have a gift until you try it on for size, until you actually put it into play. It also gives you permission to quit at the end of your commitment. So for instance, at Sunrise, we try to ask people to make a six-month or sometimes a year commitment to serve in a different area of the church. You might find after a little while, maybe after a few months, man, this is, this is frustrating. This is not my area. This is not my gift. That's okay. And it gives you permission to say to one of our ministry heads, hey, you know, it's been great to do this. It's been great to see what the church is doing, but this is not for me. That's okay to say. I want, just, I want you to hear that. You have permission to say at the end of your commitment period, it's not for me. It's not for me. And try something else. That's the other thing. It doesn't give you permission to just stop serving. <laughs> God calls all of us to do that. But it gives you permission to try something else. And I think the best place to start then, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know which of these is my gift. And, and there, are, there are ways to discern that. And at some point, hopefully, we can help you do that. But one of the best places to start is just in one of these two categories. Do I like people? Do I like communicating? Do I like listening? Do I like speaking and encouraging and sharing with others? Then find a ministry, a place of serving where you can use your gift of speaking, of talking. And that's okay. I find, personally, by the way, that a lot of times I admire people who aren't like me. Like I wish, like, man, I admire those people so much. I, I kind of wish I was more like them sometimes. So like for people who serve behind the scenes faithfully and just just work and, and have this incredible energy and be able to just keep on going like the Energizer Bunny and love people well and, and do things to organize. Now, I really admire those people, but I have to recognize that's not where my gifting lies. Mine is more in speaking. Yeah, but you've got to know that. Don't let your admiration of someone else's gift get in the way of you putting yours into play. So for instance, if you know, Jamie, do I like serving, helping, organizing? doing behind-the-scenes things? Do I like praying for people, 
quietly, then you know that's a place where you might want to serve. So, so start in one of these two categories. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, I don't know the where to serve. Ask yourself, where do you fit in these two areas? That's a place to start. The second thing you might notice about this list is that it comes with five different lists in different books in the New Testament. Meaning those who wrote the Bible never gave an exhaustive list of gifts to those people they were writing. They never gave this, in other words, to the churches. They never said, here, here's your list. Tick a box, tick a box, tick a box, all right? Or rank your top three. All right, they didn't do that. Instead, they gave gifts here. They listed gifts here. Why is that? Because gifts don't exist in a vacuum. It's important to, to neither clearly identifying or using gifts exists in a bathroom. Each church had unique needs back then, just as each church now has unique needs. So don't expect, we can't expect churches, either this one or others, to create or tailor make ministries just so you can figure out and use your gifts. Now, similarly, if we notice a lot of people had these unique gift sets in a church, and we need to find a place for people to use that gift. That's on the responsibility of the church leadership to create an avenue for that. But at the same time, we can't expect a church to say, oh, okay, you have that gift, let's just make a ministry for you. Not how it works. Frederick Buechner is a great author. He defined uh, calling in life as the place where our deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. Where our deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. And that's where calling takes place. Similarly, you might say our calling to serve in the church is the place where your gift and the church's need meet. Your gift, the church's need. is not all about the church's need because you have a unique gift, as I said before. And we want to find ways for you to... to to serve and use that gift. And oftentimes, it's in a ministry you might not think of, but in a way that meets your gift. And you can use your gift. But it's also not all about the gift, right? There are unique needs in the church, and we have to meet them. So it's the place and the time where those things meet together. I want to give you a real-life example of that, where your gift and the church's need might meet. I want to show you a video of a father-daughter Volunteer team. Pretty cool, actually. Uh, they, they team up once a month to serve in our three- to five-year-old ministry, which meets back here. Jim Amen and his youngest daughter, Amanda. You'll first hear from Jim in this video here, who will explain how he decided to start serving in a three- to five-year-old ministry. Take a listen. This is a song of a break between a single loud noise. We want them to hear us. The decision actually I played with for a while because, you know, I love children very much. I see them running around the church and, and they're all excited and fun. And what working with kids is that they listen and they love God because they trust. And where we adults always question everything and don't actually trust. Working with the kids at young ages, you can get them to trust in God. And, and it was also an opportunity to work with my, my daughter here to be part of the ministry as well. Thou silver moon with softer gleam, oh, praise him. Oh, praise well, I sometimes play my clarinet for them, and some of them are 
songs I can play on my clarinet for them, and we sometimes come up with props I can bring in to like show what we're reading about, and he's very amusing sometimes. Man and I sit down, read through the lesson, we read through the Bible story in the week a couple of times, and think about how we can present it to the kids in a fashion that they, they will grasp it and understand God's Word. But at the same time, we're learning God's Word. So it's been a great experience, and it keeps God in your life throughout the week. It's been great. I just love getting her involved. And she's she's so interactive in the class with the kids, and it's just wonderful to see her taking the, the music that she's been learning in school to God's glory here with the kids, and, and, and the other parts of helping out and, and watching her laugh and the kids laugh with her. It's just been wonderful experience, as well as the preparation time and giving us some nice father-daughter time. For Jim and, and Amanda, they do an amazing job. Are they here this morning, by the way? Amanda? There they are, right here. Let's give them a hand. See right here. And, you know, two of the things I want you guys to take away from this. One, a, a need is being met. But not only the need to minister to three- to five-year-olds and their families, but also two other potentially overlooked needs. The need for parents to actively disciple their children, to get engaged with them, to share with them about Christ, not only in Scripture, but their own lives and and how they interact with the Bible and the struggles they have and the weaknesses they have and asking for forgiveness of their kids and watching their kids share incredible insights about the Bible. This is all part of a parent discipling their child, their their preteen, teenager. Um, Amanda's also 12 going on 13, and we don't have a ministry yet a very focused ministry towards middle and high schoolers. But Amanda is still growing in the church through her service to it. So he's meeting another need where Amanda's getting to grow and interact with the body of Christ, even though we don't have this sort of normal, specific, typical youth ministry kind of thing. Isn't that cool? Um, Another thing I want you to see is that Amanda is using her gift. Of course, Jim's using his gift of humor and crazy antics as well. But also she's using her gift of in an unlikely way of playing the clarinet. Now, typically when someone has a musical gift or talent, what do we think? Where do we want to put them? Where is it? Right up here in the worship band. Sunday mornings, practice during the week, play, and that's great in the praise band. But here Amanda's used her gift to serve the children, both to calm them, I'm guessing in Pied Piper-like fashion, they just like follow her but also to help lead them in praise to God back there with the three- to five-year-olds in kids' ministry, which is awesome. It's amazing. Now, right now, our church's greatest need stems from the central calling and theme the Holy Spirit's been impressing upon us during this season of our church's life, which is outreach. That has been a consistent theme that the leaders of the church have, have impressed upon us, and I hope you have as well over the last few weeks, reaching out to those outside of our walls, both in word and in deed. And when you hear that, what do you think? You think typically what? I don't know how to share my faith. Evangelism isn't my gift. Mercy, helping others isn't my gift. Indeed. Otherwise, it's tough. 
I would say not so fast. Think outside the box. How you might serve and use your gift in this. If you're gifted in evangelism mercy, that's great. But for example, uh, we've kicked off, we're going to be kicking off in March, eight to nine of these Christianity Explored dinner groups. And we're in the middle of visiting, I'm in the middle of visiting our community groups, various community groups, helping equip them and, and cast vision for this. And it's really amazing. Most of the groups getting excited and having questions and kind of nervous as well. But I've been trying to impress upon them is that each person in a community group, which will start this dinner group to reach out to people who don't yet know Jesus through Christianity Explored and that material, well, each person will have to have a role. No one gets off the hook. But each role is different. So we're going to need people uh, to show hospitality, to uh, pray. Intercessory prayer is going to be huge. Behind-the-scenes cleaning. Following up during the week with a phone call, making sure a person has a ride. Different ways of serving. That's just a few of them. All for the purposes of outreach. You see how that works? We have to think outside the box. Each of us can use our role towards one task and one mission. We're also continuing our commitment to reach out and be a part of our community at large through our Georgetown Primary Outreach. Our outreach to ask at-risk children in our after-school program. And we need not just people who can talk to kids, but if you have an ability, you're athletic. We, we need people in the after-school program who have abilities to lead different areas. They're very open, by the way. Their coordinator there, Rebecca, is very open to incorporating all different kinds of talents so the kids can get involved and they can engage with other adults. If you have an, an ability like being athletic, you're artsy, you're cooking, or, or something else. You know, maybe you're good at... Sword playing, I don't know, like I mentioned earlier, probably not that one. It could be weird, whatever. And you're like, how can I use this in the church? That's a great opportunity. Kids love weird stuff. It's unbelievable. Like you just get cardboard boxes and my kids just play for days. It's amazing. Also, though, if you've been given a gift of, of, of giving, some people are, are, love to give or, or gift of prayer, but you're busy. You know that your, your, your workload or your load with your, your kids and your, your home life is busy. You don't have a lot of time. I have a perfect way for you to begin using your gift, to step into that. You can give and pray while you grocery shop. Feed, our, our Feed After School Kids program, Feed After School Kids display, in fact, back there today, right next to those stairs, has been, been revamped. It's been revamped this week. Each slip of paper now you can tear off has on it a child in the program for whom you can pray. And as you shop for them, you have a grocery item to buy, the quantity you need to buy it in, and each quantity is about $10. So you know if you tear off a, a slip of paper back there, you're going to give or you're going to be at the grocery store, Kirk's, Foster's, whatever, um, uh, Hurley's, want to give equal, say, um, here, um, you will be getting... About $10 worth when you tear, tear off that slip. And not only that, as you grocery shop, how cool would it be to spend some of that time just praying for that person on your slip of paper? I want to tell you this. This is very important. We found out recently that 51, by the way, we have multiple and convenient drop-off spots. When you buy some groceries for kids, multiple drop-off spots. Gas stations, your community group here, here at church, you can drop them off. I found out this week 51 at-risk kids participate in this program, all right, this after-school program. Only six families, so six kids, 
have had their snacks paid for, and the government does not supplement the rest. See, we always thought, and I think for a certain period, the government supplemented the snacks. That means 45 children, 45 children are not getting snacks in the after-school program. They just don't have the money for it. It's been a big struggle funding it. One of my, one of my guys there, one of my dudes, Johannes, who I see every week when we, we go there, uh, Pastor Brett and I go over there for some bonding service time as well, but... This, he's my guy, man. He, he loves to play sports, and, and he's kind of savvy. He's, he's smart, too. But he told me one day, he said, you know, Mr. Ryan, I, I, I had breakfast today, but I, I don't think I'm getting a snack. And I said, what do you mean? Like, Did you not have lunch? No. It's like, oh, man. I mean, you think of these kids trying to learn and already having trouble learning, already being given up on by a number of people, including sometimes their own families. Don't have food. I want to encourage you. How awesome would it be if, if like, all of our church, I want to to say, like, three-quarters of our church, but all of us just took a little slip of paper once a month, $10, and we contributed. It's not too hard. It's not too hard. So before you say no, think through how your gift might be used in an unlikely ministry in need like that one. So that's the first point. It's like the last two are pretty quick. Use your gift. So first of all, find your gift, then use your gift. How does one use their gift? According to Peter, here's what he says. Each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied Christ. So first, serving the body of Christ. It's pretty clear here. Serve one another. These are the one another's of Scripture. Uh, Consider Paul's description of how God's people are to serve one another in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. It'll be up on the screen, but if you want to flip to it, you're welcome to. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, you're a slave or a free. And all were made to drink one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but many If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, well, then I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, what would be the use in hearing? If the whole body were an ear, what would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts at one body. The eye can't say to the hand, hey, i got no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You hear that? We need each other. We often compare, man, I wish I had that gift, that talent, that ability, that ability to make people feel warm when they come in the room, or that ability to just do the dirty work that no one else wants to do, and they just, they're so eager to do it. Or that ability to come up here and, and you speak for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. Like, I, I get that. But each one of us needs the other. That's a beautiful thing. Up on the screen, I put a picture of the human body. All right? It's a great picture, I think, personally. Like something I would probably draw. Um, no, it's better than I would draw, actually, looking at that. It looks like someone from like Aerosmith or something like that, his body, but that's all right. Um, Paul identifies some of these parts, right? Foot, hand, eye, ear, 
nose, head. Right? Church anatomy 101. But one part of the body he would never have included, and that's the appendix. Ah, yes, the appendix. You know that part of the body that's chosen to hang in the back here in the Harkwell Theater, slips out during the benediction. That's, that's the thing when I get up after the song and say something about being dismissed and grabbing coffee at the end. That's that thing. You know, and you kind of slip out the back. You don't really want to get too involved. It's enough that you're here. You find a way to rationalize that you're somehow different. Because of certain circumstances in my life, I'm different though. I'm different. Doesn't apply to me. Friends, there is no appendix in the body of Christ. You know what happens, right? After a while, trying to be the appendix after a while. It's called appendicitis. You may have had it. God flushes, in some cases, has to cut you out. But really, you cut yourself out. You remove yourself when you stop serving or no longer or never serve. One pastor of a prominent church put it this way. He said, a person who attends church but does not begin to serve will drop out within a year. One can ponder all the research on how to assimilate new people into the body of Christ, but it comes down to one simple variable. If people begin to serve, they stick. It's true. I mean, you may love this church. You may love the worship, preaching, atmosphere, people, the vibe you get, the feeling you get when you leave. But if you don't fellowship and serve alongside people, you won't last here. You'll always be welcome. I want to tell you that you'll always be welcome. By God's grace, we love you. We care about you. God loves you. He wants you here. But, but as you've heard me say before, in our house, you're a guest. You're always a guest, but you don't become family until you take out the garbage. You got to do it. So you serve one another. And we're also told here you serve by grace. Grace. God's love made active. The fuel that God supplies. Notice that pattern there in verse 11. Someone who serves using the very words of God, which are grace to them. As, as they serve, so as they speak, they use that. As they serve with the strength that God supplies. God, God cares not only you serve, but how you serve. He knows our tendencies. He knows that once we start doing, we like to do things on our own. We just go through routine or habit. Or we think, yeah, I'm good enough to do this. This is easy to do. But what happens? We start to give credit to ourselves. And we start to run out of steam. So we see two types again here of gifts. We see works and service. And that's talked about here. Paul talks about using the strength that God supplies. Specifically the strength, receiving strength through the grace of prayer. Not that God wants strength through encouragement, through the word, through other means. But knowing folks who serve, who serve well, and that again is not my area of gifting, they're greatly empowered by a heavy reliance on God through their own prayers and the prayers of others. Just praying as they go along. Like the very famous brother Lawrence who wrote that little book called Practicing the Presence of God. He never thought... He wanted to be a priest. He wanted to be someone who speaks his whole life. But instead, he was assigned to work in the back kitchen in a monastery. You know what he did? He cooked to the glory of God. As he swept, he prayed and practiced God's presence. He he just talked to God, conversing. And then he wrote a little book on how to do that. A book that has far outlasted any priest of his monastery or abbot 
because he relied on God as he served. He learned how to converse with him, how to draw strength from God, draw near to him. If you're gifted in service, draw near to him through the grace of prayer. What if you're gifted in speaking? We're told here to speak the very oracles of God, to draw strength from the very word of God spoken to the people of God throughout all time here in the Bible. You can receive this sort of speech weightiness by yourself receiving God's word. Now, there's legitimate dispute here about what Peter means. Is he saying when we speak, we should only speak God's word? Like when you and I are talking, we should only quote scripture to each other? But as 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, blah, 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 right? And you just, that's how you talk in real life. Is that what he means? No, otherwise he wouldn't make the analogy here. Speak as one who speaks the very words of God. Not just speak the very words of God. Does that make sense? So, he means that for those of us who do speak through evangelism, encouragement, through teaching, praying, counseling, prophecy, these sorts of ways, to do so with great seriousness and gravity as if we're speaking the very words of God. Not just our own words. For years, I was part of a a more charismatic church in the U.S. in which people would deliver words they felt like were from God. Very frequently, they call them words of knowledge or wisdom, prophetic words. They're not infallible like Scripture. They're not always true. But over the years, I received a lot of these words. People would write them down and put them in a a folder. But there were two or three persons who, when they gave them, had more weightiness to what they were saying because their words were saturated with Scripture. They, they, They were in the Word of God. And so when they heard from God, it wasn't like they were just hearing this sort of like, weird things like out of nowhere about visions of snow and wolves and this and that, little trains going by. But their, their words were saturated with God's word. They were filtered through the word of God. So they knew, think about it, they knew that's not from God because it doesn't line up with his word. It doesn't make sense in light of his true and infallible word. And so that's how God uses his word to nourish us. Evangelists, encouragers, teachers, well-wishers, good listeners, use God's word to fuel your tank. It's grace to you. It should be encouragement to you. Third point here. So use your gift. Sorry, find your gift, use your gift, so that we might together display his gift. We see this here in verse 11. And it's beautiful truth that when we do this together, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whenever someone in the Bible ends their sentence with amen, it's not always meaning they're done. They just usually experience some amazing transcendent moment of glory. It's just good to pay attention. According to Peter, God is glorified here in some amazing way through Jesus Christ. How is that happening specifically? What gets Peter so worked up that he gets into this, to him belong dominion, to power forever, amen. We've heard when a person finds a gift, when God's grace fuels the use of our gift, and we actually use that gift, and it develops into this many-colored portrait of grace displayed through his church. That's the result. 
You find your gift, you use your gift, and together there's this many-colored portrait we give of Jesus Christ. So when Peter says, in everything God God be glorified, he means all kinds of gifts. Working together. It's interesting, when you look at this word varied here that Peter uses to describe the grace on display, it comes from the Greek word poikilos, which means motley or manifold or variegated or many-colored. It was used in secular literature around this time uh, in the Hellenistic world to describe like the skin of a leopard or different colored veining and marble or is used to describe various hues in a mosaic and a work of art or variations in the strain of music. That's the, that's the word, that's the idea Peter's trying to get into our minds It's a beautiful piece of art when we all come together and use our gift. Probably the best compliment you can give any piece of art is when it forces you to look at something ordinary in a different, entirely fresh, but somehow more meaningful way, right? That's what's one of the great things about art. You walk through and you think, eh, no, whoa. Or you hear a piece of music. It just does something different. It gets into your mind, into your soul. I have a friend who I met in a seminary who, before he we went to seminary, went, attended Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota, which lies across the state line in the U.S. from a place called Fargo, North Dakota. You may have heard of a movie called Fargo. It's in a very bleak part of the United States. There are some images for you. That looks like fun, right? <laughs> Good winter vacation. Um, especially during the winter, it's tough living. Each December there at Concordia College, a huge choir and a full orchestra give a musical performance in the concert hall. Every year without fail, people in the community create a huge and unique background every year for this concert. It's a 100 by 30 foot mosaic that lies behind the orchestra. It's pretty amazing. And beginning in the summer... The summer, remember, this is a Christmas concert. So beginning of the summer, about six months before the concert, the community designs this new mosaic. They rent an empty building, and the painting begins. And almost every person plays a part. Hundreds of people, from junior high schoolers to senior citizens, paint the mosaic. Now they use paint by numbers on a large-scale design that has thousands of tiny pieces to it. And the weekend of the concert, people... They arrive early, they get excited, they, 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 they get together for dinner before they go, and then they head out together, along with friends and neighbors. Throughout the building, you can hear people whispering, hey, hey, you see that? See that little fence, the rust on the fence post? That's my rust, right? Or that, let's see that cloud up there? That's my whitish hue, right? And they just, they point out little pieces and say, yeah, that's my, that's my piece, performance is so anticipated every year because each person has a role. Each person has a part to play. Now, people are familiar with mosaics. There are mosaics all across probably this country, other countries, certainly in the United States, certainly probably even across Minnesota. Nothing new. But when an entire community pitches in, this beautiful multi-varied stories like this one get told in otherwise unknown communities like Moorhead, Minnesota. 
The church which uses its gifts to serve one another is the work of art. It's a work of art in which each of us get to play. And an ongoing world receives a fresh, beautiful, more meaningful view of Jesus Christ as a result. They see something about Jesus they've never seen before because you use your gift. That's why Peter says in verse 11, in everything God may be glorified. He means all kinds of gifts. A church body becomes a refreshing portrait, not because each of us are unique, but because each of us uses our uniqueness to serve. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a church that doesn't just exist to make one another feel comfortable, to have a place where we can feel at home. Although we want those things, Lord. We do want those things. We want to feel at home. But we don't want to just settle for that. We don't want to be just a warm church. We want to be a church that displays Jesus in a way the world has never seen. A way the onlooking island of Cayman would see and say, wow, those are people who not only love each other, but serve one another. In these unique ways. I've never, I've never seen someone use their musical instrument to serve the kids in that way. To bring in their clarinet or bring in, you know, a beautiful horn instrument as a teenager to serve kids. You know, I've never seen people in a grocery store pull out a little slip of paper. And when I ask what that is, they say, oh, I just, I, I'm... I'm my church is helping to feed after-school kids, so I'm praying for this kid while I buy them some Capri Suns. Father, that's what the world is looking for from Christians because that is who Jesus Christ is, a self-giving, loving person who builds his church to be a beautiful piece of art for our onlooking world to see. Help us be that by taking our first step, getting involved, finding a way to serve. Yes, it's all in Jesus' name. Amen.